This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Jeff Begay's filling in for Gil Gross. On this edition of America Changed Forever from CBS News Radio, the opioid crisis killing Americans in record numbers. Drugs, fentanyl seizures in places like New York are up more than 200 Deaths are on the rise and local law enforcement agencies are taking notice. They're noticing one of the main reasons for the rise is deadly drugs like fentanyl being laced into other drugs. Illegal pill pressing operations. That's where they press pills to look like prescription drugs. It's scary because it's the deadly drugs- illicit opioid fentanyl and a size as small as a grain of salt could kill you. The nation is in the grip of an unprecedented opioid epidemic. The hard drugs are making it to America's streets and into the hands of people who are using and dying. In the last year, overdose deaths soared to a record 93,000. That is a 29% increase over the year before, and on average, 250 deaths each day, or roughly 11 every hour. Those are government statistics. On this episode, we talked to the mother of an Ohio man who died of an overdose. I, um, I began to to call around, um, and but uh, but before I could even get too far, um, she called me back screaming um, at the top of her lungs that he was dead on the floor. Kathy Lawley on the loss of a son and how she hopes to prevent more people from succumbing to these hard drugs. Also, what the research says about the hard drugs behind these overdose deaths. Fentanyl can be up to 100 times more potent than morphine. It varies in its potency. So people who are using drugs might not know what they're getting in their drugs. Dealers might not know the potency level of the fentanyl that they're using to mix into other drugs. First, Kathy Lawley, whose son Michael worked at a gym in Chagrin Falls, Ohio, as a personal trainer. He'd been sober. And he seemed to be doing well. Kathy, tell me about your son, Michael. So Michael Biello was my son who tragically um, passed away um, at 31 years old on March 23rd, 2020. Um, Michael had some substance use disorder on and off throughout about seven to 10 years. Um, he, He generally was pretty functional. Um, there would be, you know, one or two downplays where he may have uh, had had a couple of overdoses and they were fentanyl related, but was Narcan um, and brought back. Um, they usually were the result of a relapse. So Michael, Michael, if he ever spoke to you, would tell you, I hate this disease. I hate what's happening to me. I just want to live a normal life, which he cried to me over and over throughout those seven to 10 years. And in fact, his brother also suffered from the disease of a, a substance use disorder. And he watched that occurring just prior and was, you know, literally disgusted by that and said he would never live like that. And he would never put us through this. And um, so, so Michael, 
Michael had a little bit more of an adamant way about him in terms of the disease and, and not accepting the disease. And, and, and oftentimes, um, he, he really downplayed it. He didn't admit to it being, uh, his primary choice, a drug choice, heroin. Um, he didn't inject heroin. He snorted it. So if heroin had been, um, the drug he had used the day he actually passed, he, he wouldn't have passed because, um, unless he was using an inordinate amounts, um, that just wouldn't happen as he didn't, you know, inject, which is highly fatal if you inject too much. Um, so, so Michael had been doing quite well. He, Michael was a personal trainer. So he was a star football player running back in, um, high school, uh, very, very athletic, um, and just excelled in anything he did. Uh, he was in the newspaper every Saturday morning for those Friday night high school games. And in fact, received a, um, scholarship for Baldwin Wallace, um, to, to play there as well, um, for college. He, he was such a lively, I, I, you know, the, the way to describe Michael is very difficult for me because Michael had an extremely extroverted personality, um, very friendly, very funny, made, he was kind of the light in the room. People just laughed as soon as he was around. And, and when he, he eventually became a personal trainer, he would, you know, hop into the room. He didn't walk into the room. He hopped in with, you know, music playing and jumping up and down and getting everybody motivated. But the one thing about Michael that stood out that I heard over and over was, um, you know, that he was just such a kind soul and so caring. And, and that resonates with me as Michael was not good when someone wasn't happy, including myself. And I can speak for myself that if I was upset about something, unhappy with something he may have done, he was relentless. You know, he just wanted to make it right. Um, he hated what was happening. So um, just prior to um, March 23rd, so for about two years prior to that, he um, he had been doing wonderfully uh, he had a great job at a local fitness center where he was the sales manager. Um, they literally told me after that he, if it weren't for him, they would have closed. And I, I would later find out that if it weren't for him, the gym before that would have closed as well. And in fact, they did after Michael died. So he just had a, a way about him. Kathy, let me, let me ask you this because he, he, the way you describe it, he seems to have been doing well. He was doing wonderfully. Why couldn't he escape the drugs had on him? Why do you think that was? Yeah, that's a great question. And one that only both of my sons have told me, mom, only you could understand if you were us. You, you'd never understand. The normal person wouldn't understand the hold it has. Um, I can say, Jeff, though, that um, if things started to change a bit in the earlier part of 2020, um, I I noticed there might be some drinking and, and Michael knew he couldn't do any substance, whether it be alcohol or, or any drug, even if he smoked pot, any of that would sort of be that bridge back to the heavier duty drug of choice. And so, um, so I noticed that we confronted him again. He was very upset. We were upset and, um, and said he would stop. I, I don't know if he did, but I do know that I took the classes with him at the gym almost every day. And so he was there at four in the morning, you know, up and ready to go. And I didn't see any signs. And for years, I know the signs. I mean, I've been living this life for 15 years. I know the signs. There were no signs. I will tell you, and I, and I mentioned this the other day when we spoke, um, I will say that for my son, COVID had something to do with that in my mind. Um, I will say for others that is not the case, but I do want to. But I do want to say that that is the case for my son. Well, let's let's talk about that. Why do you think COVID uh, played a role? Yeah, in what happened to your son? So my son had only been sober just about two years, and and if you know anything about um, substance use disorder, you'll know that um, it takes a long time to regain those coping skills if you've never even had them. 
Um, so, so it was difficult for Michael. Um, you know, my other son's been sober eight years and he's got excellent coping skills, but it took some time for Michael. He hadn't, you know, maintained the, um, sobriety long enough, really, I think to have the, the best and most optimal and efficient, uh, coping skills that he could have had and, and experience with that, you know, experience. So here, this, this major pandemic comes down there, everybody's doom and gloom and every news channel you put on and, you know, mind you, March 23rd was the day that Ohio, uh, closed their doors to businesses and closed down pretty much. So just prior to that, the gym had put on restrictions. They closed down. Um, he was working uh, as a sales manager from home, but there was pressure. There was a lot of pressure because, um, you know, he had to keep up sales. So not only did he have to keep up sales, but he's trying to learn how to Zoom call, you know, uh, fitness programs and and all of that. And I, I could kind of see him just getting a little bit more and more and more edgy and, um, because he was quarantining with me. So he had a home that he lived with a couple of gentlemen, um, but he was spending some time here with me and his girlfriend was here with us um, for, you know, some time during that time. And um, that evening, uh, that morning, I should say, um, Sunday morning, we went uh, to the gym and just did our own, the three of us just did a um, personal training between the three of us. And, and it was wonderful. And I, you know, I hugged and kissed him and told him I loved him. And he told me the same. And he said, mom, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to come back there tonight. I'm going to go sleep in my own bed, I think. And I, I felt funny. I, it didn't seem right for him. You know, it wasn't what we talked about. And, uh, and so I was a little concerned, but I was texting with him that night, you know, um, nothing seemed too out of the ordinary at all. And, uh, the next morning I woke up to, um, numerous phone calls from his girlfriend saying he didn't show up at four or five when they had planned to meet for training. And, um, I said, I've been through this before. So I said, get, get over there now. I'll, I'll start calling hospitals and rehabs and so forth. And so, I, um, I began to, to call around. Um, and, but, but before I could even get too far, um, she called me back screaming um, at the top of her lungs that he was dead on the floor. And, um, mm. we immediately, um, my ex-husband and my other son, I don't, I don't recall much. I know I was, I know I was on the floor, um, trying to call everybody, but I couldn't get the phone to work. And I got somehow got my ex-husband, his father, and we made it, you know, to get, to get us all out there and, and, you know, see him that way. And there was a full, full-blown investigation um, on, on my son, and there continues to be. When we come back, more with Kathy Lawley. This is America Change Forever from CBS News Radio. Welcome back to America Changed Forever from CBS News Radio. I'm talking with Kathy Lawley, who lost her son Michael to a drug overdose. Fentanyl and carfentanil were found in his system. Part of the reason why I wanted you to come on this show is because all that you did uh, for Michael, um, what you also went through as well, um, it's a lot. It is a lot. Even the way you describe it, you know, obviously I wasn't there, but you paint such a vivid picture of the struggle that you as a family went through. Yeah. Years. And, um, and I'll tell you something, Jeff, when I, when I found out, you know, how, that my son died and then later found out um, how he died, it took a couple of months before I started to put pieces together. And this is where I think that this is where the important message needs to come out. I started to put those pieces together. And, and not only did I start to learn things little by little by little, I also realized I've got two choices. I'm either going to, get up and fight and save lives and, and speak on behalf 
of my son because I know he would want me to. That's all he cared about was other people. Or I could I could lay down and, and spend my life grieving and crumble, which more and more seemed easier, especially with uh, the relationship Michael and I had. We were extremely close. We called each other best friends. <laughs> when I had something exciting happen, I called him. He called me. If he had a cut on his finger, he had to ask me every detail. So we were on the phone every single day. We were together. We were just that close. And so it's been a, an extreme beyond normal void and loss. And so I am spending my efforts right now um, as an activist. Um, pretty much when I'm not working my job, I'm doing that. I get little time to rest because if I'm not speaking on shows such as this or working um, in our organization, our nonprofit called Appalled, A-P-A-L-D, Association of People Against Lethal Drugs, I'm learning from others and my fellow activists because there's so many of us out there that are trying so hard to talk to people like you about the paradigm shift. And that's what I'd like to talk about next if we can. Yeah, let's, um, you know, part of the reason I wanted to bring you on is to talk about that as well. And, you know, we learned recently that overdose deaths spiked um, in the last year. They say, you know, the pandemic played a role in that. And that's how we first met talking about that issue on the CBS Evening News. What is your response to those numbers and how disturbing they are? So as you know, or I'm sure many out there know, the, the numbers are 93,333 um, in 2020. Um, between 75 to 85% of that involves fentanyl um, and unknowingly being given to, to those out there. And so we have to think about that. So it's it, does the pandemic play a role? I, I think you'll get a lot of absolute no's from moms and dads out there that are in these groups that we we talk with all day. I, I think there's so many people saying, no, that's not it. That's not it. I'm going to say that th there may be a bit of that involved. Of course, let's be realistic. Um, you know, there's there's more money from the, the, the money that people received as a result of the pandemic. Um, there's less resources. Um, so, so we have to think realistically. Yes, some of that does have to do with it. Some of it does. But I think what's most important we talk about today is what we like to call the paradigm shift that happened around 2013. And, and in 2013, if, you, if you've had an opportunity to look at any graphs or, or you know, any, any of the, the, um, the research that's been done, and it's really nice to see those graphs because it really is quite eye-opening, um, you'll see this complete movement from the bottom of the graph that's been stable for years all the way up to the top, okay? And so this has gone... Uh, gone up year over year. Um, in 2013, we know that, in, you know, and some people don't want to talk about the reality of all this, but we know that in 2013, China began um, using a principal source of fentanyl flooding the U.S. I mean, this was through the US illicit drug market. I mean, this is what they were manufacturing, um, you know, in these foreign clandestine labs and smuggling that into the United States through, through Mexico and through China and through the United uh, Postal Service, as well as other carriers. Um, through the borders and so so on and so forth, um, that increase. And if you don't think today that increase has something to do with this increase here, you're you're very wrong. I think you need to understand that this this uh, I want to call it epidemic that we are in now. That this pandemic of fentanyl we're in now is extremely related to not just substance use disorder, but those out there that are one time users. Um, We've been seeing more and more cocaine, um, fentanyl deaths from uh, using cocaine. Uh, in fact, the Buffalo News, I think the other day, reported half of all their their cases in Erie County were from cocaine laced with fentanyl. So, I mean, when you think about that, people out there, they do they do experiment with drugs. 
Um, we'll also touch on the fentanyl pills, which we call the fentanyl lace pills, which we are seeing more and more and more. This is more actually the norm than the exception. Um, we're seeing these, you know, young high school kids, college kids, um, especially college that wants to stay up for an exam, maybe taking an Adderall that they got off Snapchat or TikTok or some other site. One of their friends gave it to them. They maybe got it off those sites and they're dying after one time. And I've got personal friends, personal friends. I could probably tell you, uh, personally know 20 people that this has happened to recently in this nation. And that's just personally, because we know this is, you know, in the thousands. And in fact, like I said, more of the the norm than the exception. Um, so, so what's happening is, you know, you have to realize too that that we've got, um, you know, the increased numbers being seized, not only at the border, but when you look back at what's been going on with the U.S. Postal Service, I don't know if you realize this, 40% of all packages in, are not electronically tracked. Um, in FedEx, and I think UPS put some some limits and, and tracking mechanisms, safeguards in place back a, a while back, but the USPS hadn't. And and that's a, a big reason a lot of that was coming in. But but now we're looking at the borders. Now we're seeing, you know, what was it? It was up 400% uh, the fentanyl seizures at the border in the last three years. That's mind boggling. That's staggering. You know, that's getting into the hands of our kids. And, and if you don't know why fentanyl is being used, it's being used because it's cheap. Okay, it's cheaply synthetically made. And, and some don't know that fentanyl used in the healthcare setting is absolutely fine. It's, it's used under, under the direction you know, of a physician or nurse, and it's regulated because it is so potent. We know it's so potent, and we know that it's very deadly. We have to start to realize this is affecting anyone, all of our children that may get their hands on a recreational drug, all. And, and the other thing, if I might add, and I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent, but this is important. If you, a fellow... <laughs> a fellow activist of mine made this comparison, and, and I absolutely love it because it's exactly what we're trying to say to the public. In, in 1982, I believe um, there were seven, seven people that died from taking uh, Tylenol that was tainted with, tainted with uh, pot potassium cyanide. Um, they didn't know they were taking that. They died, right? That's what's happening here. This is unknowingly being given to our youth, to even our adult teens and our teen and our adults. I mean, this is unknowingly being given. And if you know what drug-induced homicide actually means, that's an unlawful delivery of a controlled substance that causes death. I mean, we aren't talking about an overdose anymore, and that's where the old paradigm is. You can talk to any mom out there. There'll probably be one in several thousand that say my son or daughter actually died of a drug other than fentanyl. That's all that's in the discussions anymore. Hmm. We're talking 13, tw I think the youngest I'd heard was 12, 12, 13, 14. Those are people I know personally that are trying to put together campaigns and awareness uh, programs and, and we're all working together to do this. This is, Your show here is is huge for me because it's a it's a help to get the word out to, to say to parents, if I could say one thing to say to all parents, every single one of you out there, every single one, even if you're not a parent, talk to your nephews, your nieces, whoever, you tell them that these drug deaths you're hearing about on the news, these drug deaths that you're hearing about or reading about on the internet, they are not overdoses. They are the result of fentanyl and a new paradigm shift in which people are dying of an lethal, illicit substance unknowingly. Before we wrap, we wrap things up, I wanted to ask about your other son. How is he doing? He's doing great. Thank you so much for asking. And a bright note, Anthony is, um, I think he's coming up on eight years this year. He's probably going to yell at me if I got that wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's, he's married now. He's, he's brought a great um, child into this world, my new granddaughter, my only. Um, 
and she's beautiful and he's doing wonderful. He, he, you know, he picked himself up eight years ago. He, he washed dishes to get by. He did everything he needed to do. He followed what he needed to do. And, and the, what, what precipitated that is an arrest in which he was put in jail for three months. And I saw him that, I think it was the week or so that he went in and, you know, between me and him in the glass, I saw tears streaming and I heard him say, mom, I'm tired. And I knew I looked in those eyes and I knew this kid is never going to use again. And he tells me never say never, but I say never because I just know, and I've watched his growth over eight years and it's phenomenal. He and my son, Michael, they're my heroes. I've never seen people struggle and go through such pain and the stigma out there that they received the hurt, the mean words, they were, they were just a tragedy and people have got to open their eyes. Oh, Kathy, thank you so much for your time. You are so welcome. Kathy is doing all she can to help others survive this crisis. She is the co-founder and co-president along with Diane Urban of Appalled, Association of People Against Lethal Drugs. There is a Facebook group and a website appalled.net. When we come back, what does the research say about drug overdoses and where does the U.S. stack up against other countries when it comes to these hard drugs? I was really surprised by what I learned. Stay with us. This is America Change Forever from CBS News Radio. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. The COVID-19 pandemic is part of the problem with the opioid crisis, but there is so much more to it. People lack hope. There is despair. At least that's according to Shannon Monnet, an associate professor of sociology at Syracuse University. How would you, Shannon, characterize the current trend in, in the use of hard drugs here in this country? Well, so COVID-19 has really contributed to a perfect storm of factors that have created the worst drug overdose conditions in the history of this country. You, you think these are the worst drug overdose conditions in the history of this country? Absolutely. We need to keep in mind that drug overdose rates were already trending upward before COVID. They've been increasing for about you know, the last 25 years. COVID simply exacerbated the conditions that we know drive drug use. Wow. So what parts of the country uh, in specific are seeing the worst of this? Well, overdose rates are increasing everywhere. There's still geographic variation on where overdose rates are the highest. They're still very high in parts of Appalachia, uh, parts of New England, and in certain parts of the, the Southwest. 
But there have been major increases over the past year in parts of the Midwest and the West where we hadn't really seen high overdose rates before. And part of that has to do with the increasing infiltration of fentanyl into the drug supply in those places. Well, let's talk about fentanyl and, and what it is, why it is so addictive, and why it is so deadly. There's a huge profit motive for suppliers with fentanyl. Because it's so potent, suppliers can smuggle fentanyl into the country in smaller batches to avoid detection, but they can still make a really large profit. And when I say potent, you know, fentanyl can be up to 100 times more potent than morphine. It varies in its potency. So people who are using drugs might not know what they're getting in their drugs. Dealers might not know the potency level of the fentanyl that they're using to mix into other drugs. But because of its potency and its low cost, dealers do mix it with other drugs to increase the strength of those drugs while keeping the cost down. So for example, overdoses involving methamphetamine and cocaine have increased over the past year, but much of that increase is due to the contamination of methamphetamine and cocaine with fentanyl. Fentanyl is really cheap to begin with, but, but, it, but it does increase the potency of these other drugs. And so you know, dealers know that the people who are using drugs want them to be powerful. That's why they keep coming back. People who use drugs don't want to pay for weak drugs that aren't going to give them any effect at all. And so when you, when you mix these drugs together, it does change the chemical composition some, and they can have both upper or downer effects or accentuating effects. But what fentanyl does is give the drug a kick that many users want. And if you just mix in something inert with, with the other substance, it's not gonna have that, that level of strength. And we're also seeing that fentanyl is increasingly being found in pressed pill format. These are counterfeit pills sold on the black market that are made to look identical to pills that are often prescribed for pain or anxiety. For example, uh, oxycodone or Xanax, but they're actually fentanyl pills. Actually fentanyl pills. And, and so how are these pills um, and, and would you say there, there are obviously some, you know, people dealing with pain who go to the doctor and are prescribed drugs with fentanyl in it, correct? Yes, the fentanyl that I'm talking about is not the, um, the legally prescribed fentanyl that comes from hospitals. This is manufactured fentanyl out on the black market that's produced by suppliers and, and sold by dealers on the street. This is not the same fentanyl that you would get in the hospital if you were, for example, to undergo a surgery. All right. So these dealers who are manufacturing this stuff themselves, they are corrupting it. And that's why it's hard to tell what is in it when people take it. Well, it's really hard to tell what's in any kind of drug right now because you're not really sure whether it's been contaminated with fentanyl or hasn't been contaminated. And even if it has been contaminated, because the potency levels of the amount of morphine that's in the fentanyl, the synthetic morphine that's in the fentanyl, because of, of of differences in the potency of those synthetic opioids, um, people have no idea how much of the fentanyl that they might be getting in the drugs that, that they're using. And so in a lot of these cases, that is what is leading to this, this spike in overdose cases. And of course, as you mentioned, the pandemic is a factor. So certainly uh, fentanyl is the major driver of the spike in overdose deaths. But as I mentioned before, overdose rates have been increasing over the past three decades. And the conditions that drive drug use uh, are still in effect. They've been exacerbated by COVID. So this includes things like isolation, lack of social connection, uncertainty, uncertainty about our future, feelings about lack of meaning in our lives. So that's all happening. It has been happening. That's been increasing during the COVID period. At the same time that's going on, people who have struggled with addiction were unable to access treatment and recovery support services. So those conditions certainly exacerbated drug use, 
But what really led to the increase in overdoses is, is this increasingly poisoned drug supply due to, due to fentanyl. So just give you an example, um, in December of 2019, about 52% of fatal overdoses involved fentanyl. A year later, December of 2020, which is when the most recent CDC data uh, were, are available, 62% of overdoses involved fentanyl. So that's a 10 percentage point increase. And that varies uh, across the country. So I was just looking at some data the other day from Ohio. And in Ohio, for example, about 80% of overdoses involve fentanyl. More to come. This is America Change Forever from CBS News Radio. Thanks for being with us. Let's continue with Shannon Monnet, Associate Professor of Sociology at Syracuse University. You know, th- these drugs don't discriminate. I think sometimes people mistakenly think that oh, this isn't going to happen to somebody I know. Uh, This is somebody else's problem. But it's not. I mean, this is affecting, you know, all populations in this country. That's absolutely right. It's affecting all groups. It's an American tragedy. No group is left untouched. And people who use drugs don't comprise a monolithic group. These overdoses that we're talking about now represent various combinations of people. These are people who are already struggling with addiction or dependence well before COVID entered our lives. But these are also people who use drugs recreationally. Think about these pressed pills that I'm talking about. You can imagine uh, a group of college students at a party on a weekend and one friend says to another, hey, man, you look like you really need to relax. Take this Zanny. And what's actually in the Zanny, the Xanax pill, is, is fentanyl. So there are various groups of people who use drugs. What they have in common right now is that all of these groups are facing an increasingly contaminated and dangerous drug supply. As things start opening up, as people start gathering again, now knowing that fentanyl is infiltrated into sort of every type of of drug um, that that people use, young people need to be cautious about what they're consuming. So if the Biden administration came to you and said, hey, Shannon Monnet, what do we need to do? to reverse this deadly trend, what would you tell them? Well, first of all, even after COVID is over, overdoses are going to keep increasing. This is not just a COVID effect. And we have to attack this crisis from multiple angles. There's one, there's, there's no one silver bullet. And so multiple angles approach means trying to prevent people from developing addictions to begin with. We also need to get over this misplaced idea that if we tell people drugs are dangerous, they won't use them. People have used drugs all throughout history. And so for people who do have dependence, who do have addiction issues, uh, we, we need to enact precautions to make use safer. So that includes things like providing fentanyl test strips and safe consumption sites where people can be monitored while they use. And, you know, a secondary benefit of safe consumption sites is that they connect people with services that help build relationships and and connections. And and those things are essential for people who are struggling with addiction. But beyond those kind of downstream approaches, we need to recognize that the increase that we've seen in drug use disorders over the past couple of decades is really a symptom of much larger social and economic problems in this country. And that includes the decline in employment opportunities and employment conditions over the past few decades, especially among those without a college degree. And that's the group for whom overdose rates have been increasing the most over the past several years. So we need to do something to address these social and and economic problems and declines in opportunity. We also need to address our disinvestments in our social infrastructure. 
Those disinvestments have left a lot of people feeling isolated and disconnected from the institutions that bring us meaning in our lives. And it's made a lot of people vulnerable to these substances that can provide a temporary chemical vacation from psychological pain. So ultimately, you know, we can address downstream solutions, immediate solutions to reduce death rate now. But until we address larger upstream strategies uh, that address long-term social and economic determinants that are at the foundation of the crisis, then our drug overdose crisis will continue. I recall that when President, former President Trump took office, there was a lot of talk about taking on the opioid uh, epidemic. Um, I remember the focus on uh, Midwest states at the time. Um, And I'm just curious, did anything change uh, to your knowledge, um, based on that administration's efforts to um, reverse what at that time were disturbing trends. And this was 2016, 2015. Right. Overdose rates have kept going up under every administration over the past 20 years. <laughs> and so, you know, despite efforts that multiple uh, presidential administrations have tried to enact now overdose rates keep increasing. And I think that has to do a, a large part with only trying to tackle the crisis uh, way downstream at the kind of treatment level. And so we in this country, we have invested a lot of money into treatment and things like Narcan. Narcan is a prescription medication that's used to reverse an overdose in an emergency situation. And so it could potentially revive people who have overdosed, but not yet fatally overdosed. Yeah. So it's a, it's a a great way uh, to save lives. But, you know, as you mentioned Narcan, you mention it uh, because, you know, it doesn't get to the root of the problem. It's, it's solving uh, a temporary problem, but does not get to the, the cause of the issue. That's right. It's, a, it's dealing with the problem in the very short term, and it certainly saves lives, but, but Narcan is a tourniquet. And if all we keep doing is putting tourniquets on the problem, we're just going to have to keep buying more tourniquets. We're not going to Narcan our way out of this problem, and we're not going to treat our way out of this problem. And, and that's because it's bigger than opioids, it's bigger than drugs altogether. Our overdose crisis represents long-term social and economic decline and an increase in the share of the population that feels like they lack meaning and purpose and and connections in their lives. And until we address those issues, we're going to keep seeing overdose rates increasing. And even after, if we somehow miraculously manage to eliminate fentanyl from this country entirely, we will still have a substance use problem and an addiction problem. There's still a group of people who use drugs to temporarily numb their physical and psychological pain. And until we go way upstream and try to figure out why there are so many people in this country that feel like they don't care about whether they live or die, we're going to continue to have a problem. Mm, that's, a, that's a real powerful statement you just made there. And I'm wondering, are other countries across the globe seeing this problem in the same numbers, or is this a category where the U.S. is leading, unfortunately? The U.S. has been leading in drug overdoses for many years, and it appears to be no, there appear to be no signs that that's, that's going to reverse anytime soon. I wouldn't say that this is a uniquely American problem, but um, the Americans are, are unfortunately winning this competition, a competition that we don't want to win. 
you know, there, there are people in this country suffering, especially coming out of this pandemic. And so you have to find ways to um, get them to connect with society again. That's absolutely right, Jeff. I, I think a lot of our politicians over the last decade or so um, have run on a campaign of hopelessness and despair. And they've targeted the communities and the groups that are feeling as though things aren't going to get better, as though there's a lot wrong with this country. And if you vote for me, I alone can make it better. Uh, and that approach has worked for some politicians. What we find is that people who are happy and hopeful and optimistic about their lives tend to vote for politicians who give them hope and meaning and purpose. And, and people who are not hopeful and happy and optimistic about their lives tend to vote for the candidates who um, kind of evoke those feelings of despair and hopelessness. Uh, but ultimately, we're not going to get out of the, the drug overdose problem. And, and in fact, we're not going to increase life expectancy or get back on the road where we're seeing improving health until we start embracing conditions and policies that make people feel like their lives will be better and their children's lives will be better than their own. Hopefully in the near future, we can reverse these trends that have been so devastating for so many families. Shannon, thank you. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Stay with us when we come back a preview of next week's episode. This is America Change Forever from CBS News Radio. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to America Change Forever from CBS News Radio. Attorney General Merrick Garland traveled to Chicago this week. I was there as he announced gun strike task forces. The violence here and in four other cities has prompted the Department of Justice to launch gun strike forces, teams that will try to chase down the illegal weapons before they're used in urban warfare. Chicago police have recovered nearly 7,000 illegal guns, a 25% rise from last year, many of which were smuggled into the city. Our job is also, of course, to go after the sources of those guns and the networks that feed those guns to the places where they are doing uh, the most violent crime. But federal efforts to reduce gun crime have rarely had much of an impact. Chicago residents we spoke with remain on edge. It's a state of emergency. 
Pastor Ira Acri has been a community leader on the west side of Chicago for 30 years. He says gun violence in the city has been worse than ever. Lord, I wish this upon nobody. There was a time when you heard of shootings, it would be uh, young men. But now people are getting gunned down, kids on their bicycles, little children dancing on the porch for their parents, grandparents getting their brains blown out. Chicago is a city awash in illegal guns and mass shootings. We're sending a message to the gun traffickers. We are going to find you no matter where you are. The uptick in gun violence here and across the country has prompted the Justice Department to launch gun strike forces to five cities. Teams that will try to chase down the illegal weapons before they end up on the street. In the hours before the Attorney General landed in Chicago, 18 shot. People are grieving across the city. Pastor Acri says increased law enforcement resources alone isn't enough. That's like a drop in the bucket. For to sit back and think that if we're going to just come here and have a task force stay around here, that that's going to solve it. We need every institution doing something. Yeah, what he believes is that to solve this crime problem in this city, you need to also give people hope, give them opportunity, give them jobs. And so that's the message that he is trying to communicate. Also, Attorney General Merrick Garland meeting DOJ officials in Chicago, the AG's hometown. On next week's America Change Forever, what cities and police departments are doing to fight crime. That is it for this week's America Change Forever. You can download previous episodes wherever you download your podcast. Also, you can follow me on Twitter, Jeff Begay's CBS, and on Instagram, Jeff Begay's 6. My thanks to Paul Woody Woodhall and District Productive. For Gil Gross, I'm Jeff Begay's, and that is how America Change Forever. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.